G2, National Director of Journey for Justice Alliance. Appreciate y'all being here. I'm your host for the On the Ground podcast. You can reach us on Twitter at J4J underscore USA. You can also reach us on our Facebook page, Journey for Justice Alliance. And finally, this podcast is for those that believe, those that are ready to do the work, ready to conversate, not demonstrate. Let's go. Good evening, world. Habari Ghani, Hotep, Jumbo, Assalamu alaikum. Peace. What's happening and what up, though? This is the space where we lift up the artistic science of community organizing. You know, we believe that uh, we use all the tools in our toolbox when it comes to struggling for freedom. So we use legislation, litigation, and when necessary, agitation to be able to move decision makers to bring resources and opportunity into our communities. And today we have uh, good brothers and sisters from the state of Michigan to lift up a legal fight that is critical and it has implications not only in Michigan, but across the United States. We're going to talk to brothers and sisters from the Michigan We Choose Coalition, Keep the Vote No Takeover, and uh, an amazing attorney from public counsel around an unbelievable situation where the federal district court has ruled that children do not have a right to access to literacy. Let's say that one more time. A federal district court has ruled that children in Michigan do not have a right to the access to literacy. So as you let that sink in, the first sister I want to introduce, I view her as the Sojourner Truth of our time. It's very important, sisters and brothers, uh, in the spirit of Kujichagulia's self-determination to define name and speak for ourselves instead of being defined name and spoken for by others, that we define who our heroes are. And one of the most important attributes to being a warrior in this fight is consistency. And Mother Helen Moore has been on the front lines in the fight for education, economic, and racial justice as long as I've been alive. And Mother Moore has been in the streets since the early 70s and still walks around like she's 25 today. So I want to welcome from Keep the Vote No Takeover, Mama or Mother Helen Moore. It's an honor to have you on the show, Mother Moore. Thank you, Abaragani G2. It's an honor to be here with all the folks that are going to speak after me. I really appreciate the work that's been done by everybody that's on the phone. And I just admire our attorney, Attorney Rosenbaum and his daughter. And we've worked together for some time. Looks like uh, we're going back to slavery, doesn't it? Wasn't it against the law to, to read during slavery for black folks to read? Yes, ma'am. Well, it looks like uh, we haven't come to much further than that when a court says to us that we don't have the right to read simply because the words aren't spelled out like black mm. folks in the Constitution. Black folks now have the right to read. Mm. Back in, in the days, it's not spelled out that way, but we all know that we do have the right to read, and we're going to fight just like we did when 2001, the court case of Helen Moore versus Detroit School Reform Board, we're going to fight just like we did back then, went all the way yes, to the Supreme Court, and now we're going to fight again. We know how to do this, and yes, we've got to free our people, especially our children. Yes, ma'am. It's an honor. And Jema Asante Baragani, first of all, and um, I appreciate you, Mama. Love you, and I'm glad that you're here with us. Next up, I want to introduce 
my brother Steve Farrar from the Michigan We Choose Coalition. Brother Steve, and how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing well, man. Also, it's an honor to be here. And last but not least, I want to introduce the man with the plan or the man that's taking the plan in the court, uh, Mr. Mark Rosenbaum from Public Council. Mark, how are you this evening, sir? I'm great, and I'm very honored to be part of a struggle with such long roots and with individuals who are really fighting for the integrity of a community, that, as you said. It's a struggle that goes back to slavery and the attempt to keep certain individuals of certain groups out of the political process mm-hmm. and out of having the same opportunity to reach their dreams as the more affluent privileged classes. And I want people to just, as we listen to this, think of two quotes. One, it's an African proverb that said, if the truth is simple, if it's complicated, it's a lie. As Black folk, one of the things that we learn to do is cope. We learn to struggle to keep our children alive as we are confronted by baseless, almost psychopathic hatred that we face from this society. And folks think about um, the attack on our voting rights that are emerging around the country, the attack on the basic quality of life institutions in our neighborhoods. The system that we live in, the system we pay taxes into, works overtime to block access to resources and opportunity for our children. And the second quote I want you all to think about is what Malcolm X used to say. He said, make it plain. And so what we're going to do during this conversation today is we're going to do our level best to tell the simple truth, and we're going to make it plain. You know, why would a system that has done so much harm, has inflicted so much pain on a people, then in 2019, deny children, again, that you've cheated, the right to have literacy. So we're going to get into that. But I want y'all to keep that proverb and that quote in your consciousness. But before we go there, we want to do our member spotlight. So the Journey for Justice Alliance is a national network of black and brown led grassroots community organizations in 34 cities across the country, committed to using community organizing as our instrument to win equity in public education. And one of the groups that we want to recognize today is a statewide organization in New York. It is the Alliance for Quality Education, AQE, led by a good friend of mine, Billy Easton, and their advocacy director is my sister, Zakia Ansari. Zakia is a mother of uh, nine. The sister is 50, but she looks like she's about 30. You know, black don't crack, but also... She is a fierce organizer who got into this work as a concerned parent and has worked, learned, and grown to become one of the more respected organizers around the United States. I want people to pay attention to the Alliance for Quality Education. Pay attention to AQE because they do things like push the governor, Governor Cuomo, to make sure that he is funding education appropriately in the state of New York. They fight him every year. And one of the big battles they won was the subject of our first podcast. They actually had a campaign to make sure that public education was a wedge issue in the mayoral elections in New York. And they called for the expansion of community schools. And what was important about it is that the only candidate that openly supported their platform was Bill de Blasio. And his adoption of that platform resulted in the largest city in the United States. Their 
platform determined who would be the next mayor of that city. And de Blasio has built over 100 community schools in the process, you know, working to keep that campaign promise. AQE is a powerful organization. They believe in the right of black and brown parents to control their destiny. They are masterful at leadership development. I have witnessed parent leaders from their organization expertly lead workshops around sustainable community schools, around how schools are funded, around culturally relevant and responsive curriculum. It's an amazing organization. And so for folks that are thinking about how do I build a statewide coalition, a statewide network, the Alliance for Quality Education is worth your study. So I want to say salute to my brothers and sisters up there in New York in the Alliance for Quality Education. We see you, we salute you, we love you, and keep up the good work. All right. So now, Mother Moore, I'm going to start with you. If you could just introduce yourself and then talk about the organization that you represent and what you do. Okay, I'm Helen Moore, and I'm an activist in the city of Detroit, and our platform is around education leading to freedom of our people. I've been out here for about 45 years, starting with the Black Parents for Quality Education, and then when they took over the school system, we became Keep the Vote, No Takeover. Many, many organizations are involved with us. We are a coalition, and one of the outstanding members is not with us but she is in spirit as Rosa Park. She did the first uh, Mika's Brief on our case mm. back in 2001 when the state took over our school system. So right now I'm working on organizing the city for the next problem that we're having with reading. The law says if our children can't read by next year, they will fail them. So that's what we're doing at this point. Everything is education to us because that is freedom for our children. Mm. And we haven't gotten there yet. Yes, ma'am. Later on in the podcast, Mother Moore, I would like you to talk about what you all are doing to make sure that young people get the support they need. It's an amazing project that you all have undertaken. So we'll get back to that. But I want to thank you, Mother Moore, again for being with us. Uh, Brother Steve Farrakh, can you say a little bit again about who you are and your organization and the work that you all do? Oh, yes, I'm... uh... Stephen Farr from Detroit, representing uh, Detroit Life Coalition in Michigan We Choose, um, which is a statewide network of coalition that we've built here um, with different organizations representing different uh, cities around the state that have been, you know, underserved and, and you know, quite frankly, under attack in whatever areas. And uh, our goal is just to to organize around them as a state and provide support. We sort of believe power comes from the ground up. So, you know, if we organize people and citizens around these issues, we can bring about the changes that we want to see. All right, brother, I appreciate you. And uh, Mr. Rosenbaum, if you could, again, introduce yourself, the organization that you're with, and, and the work that you do. I'm Mark Rosenbaum. I work with a civil rights organization that files cases all over the United States mm-hmm. called Public Council. In September of 2016, as part of the struggle that we've been talking about today, we filed the first lawsuit saying that all children should have a right of access to literacy, that all children should have the opportunity to learn how to read, to learn and to reach their dreams. The schools that we were looking at in Detroit were schools that had been run into the ground by the state of Michigan. For over 11 years, the state ran the schools and took what was a proud and succeeding school district and turned it into the least 
successful school district in terms of academics in the country. Schools that we look at are schools where there are no teachers, mm-hmm. where the children don't have books, where the temperatures in the schools range from below freezing to 90 and 100 degrees. Mm-hmm. We have classrooms where the teacher was an eighth grader for one period of time because there were no adults. And when we said to the state of Michigan, you are responsible for these schools, the state of Michigan responded, we don't have any responsibility. And in fact, that the, the academic challenges that these children are facing because they, quote, have intellectual limitations because their families don't care. So we had to bring this case into court and say that 65 years after Brown versus Board of Education, it's time for all children to have the same equal opportunities when it comes to education. I just want our listeners to understand what we just heard. Mark just explained to you that we are dealing with a state that said that the schools are struggling because our children have intellectual limitations. I just want people to take that in. And and again, so when we say things like a baseless hatred, we know what we're talking about. We are not the problem. We are not the problem. So let's jump right into it. Maybe whoever wants to take this, just give us an overview about the situation with the lack of access to literacy in uh, Michigan and what is at risk if this does not get resolved. Well, D2, let's just face it. We are black and brown in the majority in Detroit public schools and the schools that they have closed. They really are saying to us, Betsy DeVos and Trump and the rest of them, that we don't deserve a quality education. And in order for us to have a quality education, we have to continue the struggle. All these years, we've been putting out fires and we've been winning some. But as soon as we win, they come in with some more uh, laws that constantly keep us down. And Mm -hmm. so you have to have a force out there that will continue to fight for the end result, which is our children reading. Without Mm -hmm. being able to read, their lives are not really going to be to an advantage or they're not going to have the progress they need in Mm -hmm. life. We all know that. They -hmm. know that too. The enemy knows that. So Mm -hmm. what they do is set up a situation where we will have less of everything, where the finances aren't equitable, we say. Mm -hmm. And it's done by design. It's not by accident. We know that. So all we can do is continue as they throw things at us, like Rosa Parks told me to continue before she died. She wanted me to continue doing what I'm doing. And that's why I fight so hard for our children to get the education they deserve. Okay? Yes, ma'am. So... That's the landscape. So, Steve, why don't you explain why you all form Michigan We Choose and why it's important to have a statewide network to fight this fight? And I say I'm actually uh, one of our newest members to this network. And even the reason I was just intrigued by it is I've never seen, you know, a group of people really come together for these reasons at a grassroots level just to be able to push a collective effort. And that's really what Michigan We Choose is. You know, whatever your organization is, you bring it here because the one thing we realize is that, like Mother Moore said, it's deliberate. It's by design. We're noticing the same patterns and same things that's happening in all of our cities or, you know, whatever locations we live in. And the only thing we have in common is that, you know, we are a black and brown community. So it only made sense for us to... uh 
take back our power. We really don't have a choice if we want our kids, you know, all of our citizens to get what they just do. We're sort of centered around equity. And then, you know, we take that conversation into, you know, multiple things, um, education being a big one. This literacy case really, you know, just struck a nerve with this because, uh, like Mother Moore said, this goes back to slavery. You know, it's just plantation talk. And I really don't know another way to put it. You know, we live in a day and time where these kids can go Google almost anything, but no matter what, they have to be able to read and process that information. So to say that these states, you know, don't have an obligation to, you know, give our kids access to literacy, it's a human rights violation, if you ask me. And, and you know, that, that just contradicts, you know, what was the point of even, you know, giving us the state control of our schools in the first place? If I can add something, Steve, I just want to say this for our audience. You know, building a statewide network, building a coalition, again, and a coalition can loosely be defined as a temporary relationship where people come together around a common interest, a common issue that they want to address. And then through building coalitions and through doing work together and building your relationships and learning to trust each other, you can develop into an alliance, which is when people come together around shared values, shared beliefs, right? And issues may come out of that. So a fight for education equity is around like shared beliefs. So if I understand things correctly, for that one reason, it's important. But then also, as you build your statewide network and you're able to move people from different cities, that also speaks to how you're able to impact power, how you're able to impact decision makers. because state representative, whoever, one of the first things they have to feel is that they're talking to somebody who can actually impact their political career. So I just want to share that with our audience in regards to when you hear people saying they formed a statewide network, ultimately what that can mean, right? It's, it's important work. So uh, Brother Rosenbaum, can you explain a little bit about, because you said that you filed your first case around this issue in 2012. Can you explain about the case that you all have recently filed, the ruling, and kind of where, where the case is now? Look, public education was supposed to be the great equalizer in our democracy. But mm-hmm. as you said earlier, going back to slavery where it was made a crime to teach slaves to, to learn, then literacy tests were put in where children of color did not have equitable schools. And now what happens in this country is that public education instead of being the great equalizer, it's become the great unequalizer. It's part of the strategy to subordinate, to keep certain groups disenfranchised and not part of the political system. Our case is now on appeal. The state went to court and said that it wasn't responsible. And the federal district court judge said that that can't possibly be right because you put in the emergency managers who had no background and no experience in education, and they helped near these schools, resources from these schools. So the schools lack teachers and books, basic courses, temperatures that kids could learn in. There were rats running around in the schools. The bathrooms didn't work. The drinking water was toxic. We then said to the court, 65 years after Brown versus Board of Education, all children should have an equal opportunity. What the court said was, well, we will compare the schools in Detroit with other schools in disadvantaged communities like Flint or Battle Creek or Saginaw, where the schools also are deplorable in terms of the conditions. And instead of comparing them to the 
schools at Rose Point or Ann Arbor or Bloomfield Hills where there are affluent communities. So that's where the legal struggle is. But as you, and we're on appeal right now, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, but as others have said, the battle is in the courts, but it's, it's also on the streets and they relate. And the question now is whether the state of Michigan, which had a new governor, a new attorney general, a new administration, is going to continue to argue that these kids in 2019 don't have the right to read to learn because we're going to deny them their capacity to learn to read. And that's really what it's about. It's about whether or not the state can have its way and say that certain groups don't count, certain groups aren't worthy even of teaching their children how to learn so that they can thrive on their own merit. I just want people to think about this, and thank you all, as folks said, during what our ancestors called the Great Ma'afa, because uh, there was no slave trade. We were not equal partners. We did not participate in trade. Our ancestors called it the Great Disaster, the Great Ma'afa. So during the Ma'afa, we were killed if we tried to read. And in some cultures, the Belgians would cut the tongues out of Africans that tried to speak in their native tongue. They would, you know, cut our hands off if we tried to play drums. Through that type of unspeakable brutality, throughout all of that in the United States as well, we started African free schools, a partnership between the African Methodist Episcopal Church and um, abolitionists was the first expression of public education for black people in the United States. But then we know after chattel slavery, we were promised 40 acres and a mule. We never received it. Then we know that there was a promise of reconstruction and there was a violent response to that because it was hard for former slave masters and overseers to actually see their former slaves develop cities that were as advanced, if not more advanced, than the cities of, of the people that, that used to hold them in bondage. Then we know that after Reconstruction, we were bound by Jim Crow laws to try to keep us in our place. And as many of our ancestors evacuated the South, because we didn't migrate. That's revisionist history. We evacuated. When we evacuated the South, we were told of a better life in the North, and we walked right into redlining and hyper-segregated cities and communities. And still, we built prosperous neighborhoods. And so what we saw was tax codes designed to kill Black businesses in the 20th century. And we saw the emergence of the Civil Rights Movement, the passage of Brown v. Board, that promised that we would end separate but equal with all deliberate speed. And the response to Brown v. Board, and, and this is important, the response to Brown v. Board was not contrition for centuries of unspeakable brutality, but actually doubling down on a refusal to honor the mandate. So Senator Harry Byrd from Virginia called for massive resistance to Brown v. Board. And he was joined by senators all over the country. In Chicago, Black children went to school in Willis wagons, basically went to school in trailers. The schools are so overcrowded. And there was a 250,000 student walkout. And when, when our elders and our ancestors attempted to integrate public education, and white parents pulled their children out of the public schools, guess what that was called on the ground family? That was called school choice. In places like Prince George's County, places like Davis County, Maryland, they pulling children out of the public school system to avoid sending them to school with black children was called school choice. So when people tell you that garbage about school choice being about the civil rights movement, you should know that it was a reaction to the movement. It was not a part of the move. 
And then after that, you know, we've even been bombarded with zero tolerance policies and the criminalizing of our children. So the point that I'm making is that we have a trust that's been betrayed for centuries. Because who have we hurt? What wars have we started? What civilizations have we bombed? And I just think it's really important for us to have a perspective that we can share in regards to what we're dealing with. Our fight for equity is a fight against a baseless hatred that's rooted in white supremacy. And we have to be honest about that. It is about race. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Get out of here with all that garbage saying it's not. If you don't see that the police will pull you over and brutalize you because you're Black, that has nothing to do with how many degrees you have. has nothing to do about your income. A brother told me this one. He said, the only reason you weren't beaten like Rodney King is because you wasn't that. He said, it had nothing to do with your degrees or your education. So we need to understand what we're dealing with. And when I'm saying this, and you have to say this because people always try to pull this card. I'm saying this so that white people that are listening to this, I'm saying this because I love you too. And we want you to be warriors in your community for transforming the belief system that says that you're better just because of who God made you. It's important because why should people have to struggle like this? Why should people have to fight for basics? Who would sabotage the education of children in third grade? What kind of madness is that? Maybe the name of this show should have been uh, This is Madness by the Last Poets. I don't know. But, you know, I'm having a reaction to this stuff because it's, it's like we struggle and we fight and we struggle and we fight. We struggle and we fight. And we're going to keep struggling. We're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep standing up. But I just want people to know that the source of this stuff, it ain't, it, it, for, for my listeners, you ain't the problem. If you're in Detroit, if you're in Philly and you're in the hood and you're in, you in New Orleans and you're wondering why they take all your schools and you're in Jackson, Mississippi, and you see them trying to take over your schools and turn them over to charters. If you're in Oakland and you see them raping the school budget and snatching the money from our children, you need to know that you are not the problem. You need to know that. You need to sit in that. And you need to, we need to straighten our spines and stand up. All right? So... I'll get off my soapbox on there. Y'all just got a brother a little full with, the, with those stories. But I think it's important to know that the case is in appeal right now. Well, Mother Moore, why don't you answer this? So because there's a threat saying if children don't have particular test scores by third grade that they'll fail, what's the work that you all are doing to address that right now? Well, we've organized the entire city. First of all, we didn't think that the superintendent, Dr. Beatty, new superintendent, would accept what we were saying when we found out that they were really doing hardly nothing to make sure these kids passed the reading test. So we went to him. Instead of protesting, we went to him. And I took with him our books from from years ago, written by one of our people, the Let's Read book, Onyx and all that was in it. He accepted it and said, this is good. And we organized a committee to deal with the reading problems with the children. I'm in my neighborhood school. I go there and I tutor the children that are having problems. And I must say, our children are brilliant. Yes, ma'am. They are brilliant. But if they didn't get the kind of support that they were supposed to get because of overcrowding, the lack of money, because of the takeover, we're two, $2 billion in debt. 
These are the kind of things that's happening, what we fight. So our program is working. There's over 500 volunteers, but we still still want to kill the law. We're going to keep our kids learning, and we're going to keep coming in the schools and helping out. But we still want to kill that law that says it's not the kids' fault and it's not our fault. The takeover pretty much destroyed the school system. Our schools to prison pipeline is real. So that's what we're doing now. And and thanks to the retired teachers, black and white, and all the folks that have come together to teach our children and to tutor them in their schools. Mm. And it's working. Over 500 volunteers. Old people are listening. And, uh, that, was, that was two weeks ago, G2. They're coming in like crazy. We got yes, a stack ma'am. of new folks yes, coming in now that we have to clear by the police department. We want people coming in, mm-hmm. doing the right thing with our children. So mm-hmm. it's working. Every yes, day, ma'am. more people are signing up. Yes, ma'am. Right. Salute. Salute. So that's the lay of the land. That's the work that you all are doing now. So, Mr. Rosenbaum, can you maybe explain your next steps in regards to the legal fight? As I mentioned, the case is on appeal, mm-hmm. but it's now it's publicly known that the case has been put on hold in terms of the court battles, and we are now going into a process of what's called mediation, which means that we'll see if we can take the case and look at the objectives of the struggle, the work of the struggle that's been described so far today, and see if we can't get a resolution. You know, we shouldn't have to be filing lawsuits in 2019 to say the kids should have books. That's or the right. kids should have qualified teachers. That's right. And so the issue now is whether or not the new administration in Lansing will say that these kids deserve the same opportunity as other children. And I have to say that the success of that doesn't depend upon lawyers. We're a tiny part of this. Mm-hmm. What it depends upon is making sure that the voice of the community, that after all, put these individuals in office, that the voice of the community is heard, and that there is no response that is appropriate other than that these schools shouldn't have to walk into a school and know by the fact that there aren't books for teachers what the community is. Tip code should not determine the equity of a school system. And so what we're saying is, now is time for the, the work of other or the work of other community groups. Now is the time to, to say to the officials, are you going to respect the community and give the community what you have historically given to the affluent group for generations? Absolutely. And, and I want to say, often we may not, and, and, and I, I own this if we don't do it enough, define equity, right? We say that equity is giving a people what they need to level the playing field. It does not mean giving a people the same as those that may be privileged, right? I agree with you, and I think it's an easy step. If the governor is willing to send her children to these schools, then you know you've achieved equity. And until (laughs) that situation, then we don't have an equitable school system. That's right. That's right. So one of the things that Journey for Justice is definitely willing to stand with you all on is really lifting up the inequity in Detroit and helping to create some public pressure around the audacity of uh, what the court is talking about. Because I think the fact that you all are in mediation is a powerful step. And so the question is, how do you publicly create the type of demand that makes it a lot harder for judges to sell you out? Because you know we, we know 
that often judges, especially in, in local cases, and this is a federal case, but we know that often the political tentacles are connected. And so the question becomes, how do you make it harder for those folks who have the gavel to turn their back on the people? Listen, we are just about out of time. I think that the work that you all are doing is amazing, it's powerful, and it's important for our folks to know again that we use legislation, litigation, and when necessary, agitation to make sure that we're able to win resources and opportunity for our folks. So I, I, I want to lift up the work of Keep the Vote No Takeover in the Michigan We Choose Coalition. You all have brought people together. You all have united people who are usually isolated. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It is a privilege. Thank you. All right. Okay. So you all got it live and direct from brothers and sisters from Michigan who are using litigation to demand the right to literacy as, as a step towards winning education equity. You all saw that when the district, you know, tried to sabotage the education of children and say, you know, we failed your children, but despite that, if they don't read by third grade, we're going to fail them again, that folks mobilize and use the brilliance that exists in our communities to go and say, no, we're going to put our arms around our children. And they organize over 500 volunteers to go around to the schools. And like Mother Moore said, it's just the beginning. So I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us today on the On The Ground podcast. And we're closing with a song that's sort of my spirit song. I listen to this song before I go into meetings or before an action. And this is Uhuru Sasa by uh, Gary Bart and the Into Truth. And this brother, you can check out some more of their music, Celestial Blues. And this particular song, the brothers say, I ain't raising you and your children no more. Hell no, because I got some children of my own to raise up. So it's one of my favorite songs, man. I hope y'all enjoy it. And we'll see you all next week. Tuta Onana, until we meet again. Pomoja Tuta Shinda, together we will win. Peace. Hell no, I won't fight your filthy battles no more. Hell no, see I got some battles of my own to fight for. Hell no, hell no, I won't raise your children and you no more. Hell no, cause I've got some children of my own to raise up. Hell no!